it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Shabash, the Scottish NFL podcast. Wildcard weekend is done and dusted. It was sensational. We had to wait a little bit longer for some of it, but it wasn't worth the wait. Well, we'll be picking all the parts pieces to find out if it was or not. Um, I'm joined to do this by Gordon McGinnis, by Paul Mitchell, and of course he's here. Of course he's here. It's Charles Parson. How was your this, skiing trip, this, Charles? This is a total trope now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you we stopped. love a trope. You're, it's a complete and utter misnomer that I only turn up when they win. Um, My ski trip was y- excellent, and yet, by the way. And yet, well, by the way, I was invited on. I've got. I mean, I could be. Um, I don't know. Um, doing the ironing or. Batch cooking for the rest of the week. Sorry, are you you're waving at me because my you need, turn, you need, you need to pull your microphone. Oh yeah, you think I've been doing this four and a half years and you can't act, you can actually hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Shall I start again? This is a trope. And um, my skiing was lovely. It was really really nice. I was genuinely last week. I was listening um, when I got back from my trip, and I was genuinely when you were recording last week having a re- big raclette, big piece of smoked cheese. Little did I think that the cheese would be smoking Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> now can I just check you didn't cut yourself or anything while preparing. no I actually burnt myself on the raclette iron actually <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever had a raclette so, it's very very hot when you sort of squeeze it together and it sort of sits cooking underneath and I burnt myself on the iron I've got a big scar down the end of my finger <laughs> our podcast and preparing food abroad don't it's go hand dangerous. in hand France is a dangerous place to actually eat <laughs> yeah um, it's not worth it, though. We are going to kick off tonight by talking through some of the nominations that we got because, obviously, it's a different weekend. There'll be no team of the week this week. We're just going to talk about the games that have happened, and we'll talk about the games to come because, obviously, there's some juicy, juicy matches coming up in the divisional round. I'm going to go through the nominations, though. Uh, and and <laughs> a few belters here, and it probably doesn't surprise because there's, there's a few different ones here. Cameron Christie, Mark there, there is both. one. There is one, by the way. We're going to go go through them all. There, there is an obvious answer. Yes, there is an obvious That's answer. Sure. Um, the Mark McEwen and Cameron Christie both give it to the Hardy Souls who attended the games in Kansas City and Buffalo. Horrible conditions to sit in for hours watching football. No run option this week. Should the games have been played in those sort of conditions? Realize it's a winter sport, but these extremes are endangering life and limb for spectators and players. A point that we will come on to. Skip no, Bayless. I'm not having that. that no, that's, that's just garbage. That's that's snowflake stuff. Get okay. on with it. It's a game. You just it's there. No, nobody forces you to go to the stadium. If you've got a ticket and it's shitty weather, nobody forces you to go to the stadium. I'm not buying that. And nobody not forces you, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, to stand there half naked. You can wear ski thermals. It's okay. And ski jackets exist. They're really warm. <laughs> They're designed for like minus 30. So there's an idea. I'm not having that either. That's bullshit. You also know, so I I play the game. It was safe to play the game because you could travel. As long as it is safe to travel, the Bills moving the game or the the state of New York, whoever it was that moved the game from uh, Sunday to Monday, that's absolutely fine because there are people who, you know, could be injured who aren't going to the game because people are trying to drive to get to the game in conditions that aren't safe and people can get hurt and all those things. I, I have no problem at all with moving the game for that reason. Hmm. But it is an outdoor stadium and as long as it is safe to play, and 
I think it was. I don't think there were any injuries that were caused by the conditions. Then at that point, play on. Okay, there you go. We've answered it. Dan Campbell gets one nomination from Phil Spears. Uh, a bit of Buffalo respect for the Detroit Lions here. Phil says, man, what a turnaround he's made to the Detroit Lions franchise. From perennial whipping boys of their division to hosting a divisional round matchup at Ford Field, his gutsy play calling may not be everybody's cup of tea, but if you are a Lion, you know your coach has faithed you in all situations. The Lions' last draft class raised eyebrows, not in whom they took, but in the order in which they took them. But again, they had a plan. They knew what holes needed plugged, and dealt with them first, just turned out brilliantly for them. Hutchinson is an absolute beast. Gibbs, power poised runner. ARSB is just elite. Laporta, what a rookie season. Ben Johnson is getting Goff's A game too. I would not be surprised to see them in the conference title round. Special mention also to D'Amico Ryans in his debut season as a head coach. What a run the Texans are on. Brilliant fun to watch. Next week should be another fun match against the Ravens. D'Amico Ryans gets one himself from Peter Coyne, for doing a great coaching job on both sides of the ball to reverse the results of only a few weeks previous. Jared Goff gets one nomination from Brian Morris, discarded by the Rams, sent to Detroit to save them some cash. Goff has resurrected his career with the Lions, taking them to their first title in 30 years, culminated this weekend by beating the coaching team that cast him aside. Go on yourself, Jared! There is one nomination from Paddy Kelly for Skip Bayless's smart bin. I swear that guy has been throwing the same T-shirt and hats for like 20 years running. Jason Hoffman gives his to Khalil Shakir. The belter of the week should obviously be Josh Allen for his incredible three passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown game. However, since he didn't turn over the ball once, we'll not mention him again because we can't say, yeah, nice game, but oh boy, the turnovers. So instead, my nomination for Belter is the hugely, hugely underutilized and underappreciated slot receiver, Shakir. He's caught at least one ball every game this year, apart from the Jets when he didn't play. He's catching nearly 87% of his targets, and most games is making a splash play. He did it against the Steelers. His game-stealing 17-yard touchdown was a thing of beauty. Strength, poise, balance, situational awareness, and some really, really inept tackling. He's my Belter of the week. 17 the end just killed it there I'm yeah, sorry. yeah tremendous tremendous play but like the the paranoia of fan there of how no one's going to compliment josh allen for a good game because he didn't turn the ball over like i okay okay <laughs> josh allen so, played very well josh allen was great he was great the, the throwing was tremendous i thought he was very measured uh the run again it's a and i mentioned this in our chat it's a bit like van der Merver's trying mm. against england the it, was Lomu, was so, it was Lomu-esque, was wasn't it? So poor. You're also so you were also the wrong on the Van der Merwer thing though as well because the tackle is no. rubbish on it. But there's also there, there's it's six also, tackles. Yeah, like the the Josh Allen run, the tackling's really bad. But the little shimmy he puts on the guy is tremendous. It does it. It's is like it, a little. Is it not a fault? Did they not think he was going to slide, and then he decided actually I'm bigger than all these guys. I'm just going to keep running because that's what it I, looked like. I thought it was a straight juke, but it almost he almost stopped dead. As if he was about to slide, and then he went. Oh, I shall just keep going. So, so point, I mean, he's bigger than anyone else there. He's he's bigger than any linebacker out there. So he theoretically should be able to pull those straight over point, people. My point is, Charles, that it, hmm. it's a it's a score you wouldn't like against your own team because of the shitness of the tackling. That that's the point I make. I think we can admire him for what he did and how hmm. he did it. But if that's your team giving that up, you're furious with the state of the tackling. 
Well, yeah. the, the that, tackling generally across the weekend was pretty negligible from quite a few teams. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't just lay out the door to the Steelers. Especially in the state of Philadelphia, uh, state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> the, um, I mean, you could talk about the, the tackling in Dallas. Their problem was they weren't anywhere near anybody to tackle them at all. That was what their issue was, but we'll come around to that. Um, the only other nomination then for anybody is Jared Love, who gets a Jared, magnitude. Who? Jared, Jared, Love. Jared Love. Jared Love. What a player he is. <laughs> I tell you what, he, he he could quarterback a team. He's just That's, so good. I, I don't even want I don't even want to contemplate what a hybrid of Jordan Love and Jared Goff looks like. There's no such thing. Um, see see if you take the best parts of uh Jordan Love and Jared Goff, you get Jordan Love. Jordan Love. <laughs> <laughs> So the Detroit Lions fans just write to Gordon McGuinness at Stramash <laughs> Podcast. Cameron, you're not, you're not, um, you're not getting to redo that. You fucked it up, and you're going to have to leave it. <laughs> Jordan Love gets a magnitude of nominations. How many nominations does he get? By the way, um, are they all uh, from Kenny? <laughs> no, there's only one from Kenny. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight mm. in total. It's in total. So we'll we'll start with what Kenny says, though. Not sure I even need to explain. He played his best game of the season while also being the best quarterback in the league over the last couple of months. What a dreamboat. Johnny Bailey says, was a toss-up between CJ Stroud, all the best on Saturday versus the Ratbirds, and Jordan Love. But Love <laughs> takes it, knocking out the Cowboys' 16-game home winning streak. He was very impressive, and the young Packers look a challenge for anyone. Fingers crossed they oust the Niners too, and I'm sure we'll get onto that before too long. Um, incidentally, if if Johnny does get his way next week and the Texans beat the Ratbirds and um, the, the Packers do beat the Niners, me and Gordon are on some all-inclusive business class flight somewhere because the money that we're going to make off our bets is massive. <laughs> my my Vegas gambling money is going to be nicely topped up if the Ravens lose this week. And if the Ravens win this week, I'll probably double up my bet on the Texans for whoever they play in the championship game. Can I just say, I'm, I'm delighted you explained that that was about money. I just did a vision of the two of you nipping off to Sandals Resort somewhere to spend some much-needed quality time with each other. But thankfully, no, you explained me. it was financial. That, that's me and Ian. I think Ian would be very yeah, yeah, yeah. you. I was going I, off on holiday with Cameron. I just thought you were cheating on him. That was all. If Aaron Rodgers can retreat into a cave, I can retreat into a sandal. <laughs> that's all I can say. Um Jordan Love, clearly. Now, there was a, the only thing I was going to say, and I, Gordon, you'll be able to tell me this. There was a bit of story in the Packers-Cowboys game where it was like Jordan Love was the first quarterback to get a perfect passer rating in his uh, postseason debut. Did CJ Stroud not achieve a perfect passer rating? It was, I thought no, the rating so was both Love, the same. Love, Love had it and then he lost it because he had to throw it uh, at the end. Because they brought right, it back fine. in. <laughs> Fine, 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 fine. So he, so had, they, so he they, didn't they, achieve it. No, neither There's, of them had a perfect passer rate, and they were both 150. I was going to say, their, their numbers were borderline identical. It was fascinating. I mean, brilliant on both parts. And fine, you, Stroud was at home, so he gets that advantage. Um, but against that Browns defense, they really make them look like mugs. I think I, the Jordan Love one, the Jordan Love performance for me was actually less surprising off the two because Jordan Love's been transcending up the way, whereas CJ Stroud's been bounced along really good. And actually, I was impressed that he was able to turn the dial so in what's his first year. Browns defense, uh, the difference between them at home and away this season is massive, like significant point difference from defense home and away. 
But I think Stroud's performance, uh, I think Jordan Love's performance was the best debut performance by a quarterback in the playoffs probably ever. That was tremendous. Like some of the throws he made, the the touchdown pass where he threw it kind of through oh, the Dobbs. Yeah, the last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But that oh. one, but also the one where he like he pump fakes and then he's you know, he's off platform throwing it. He just I hate I hate to do the uh the big media thing or the talking heads thing as some of our Patreons would say. But <laughs> it's really hard to not see like a little bit of Mahomes in some of the throws he makes. Like I'm not saying he is Mahomes. I'm not saying he's the next coming of Patrick Mahomes, whatever. But those off-platform throws that he makes, it's only it's Mahomes, it's Rogers. Um, when he was in his heyday, like there's only a couple of quarterbacks who make those throws from those positions. Charles, do you think he's directly learned that from Rogers, or do you think that's something that's unteachable? Yep. Absolutely. He sat for three years. To which years. one? To which one? Hang on. I said no, two options and you went, yeah. No, no the, well, I think I think there's a bit of both in there, but actually I think there's some stuff there that's physical quality. I, I, I said right at the get-go at the start of the season, he's got the physical capabilities, he's got the big arm, he can run a bit. I don't think he runs enough. I, I'm quite happy if he doesn't run and get, doesn't get himself injured. But the question was, all about his accuracy. He sat for three years and worked on his accuracy. I mean, if you remember when he came in, I think in year two, and Rogers had COVID, and he he was he couldn't hit a barn door. It was a bit like Josh Allen in year one. He was spraying it all over the place. But he's always had that capability and the qualities. It was a case of developing him, and he has clearly learned from Rogers. There's no doubt about it. In fact, if you even go back to the generation before that. There's a video doing the rounds last couple of days of Favre throwing a touchdown against the Cowboys at Texas Stadium from an almost exactly the same spot of where where, Jor, where Jordan Love um, threw that touchdown to Romeo Dobbs, a sidearm. I mean, it's uncanny. It looks exactly the same. And that's how they coach their quarterbacks in Green Bay. They coach the quarterbacks to be reactive to see the whole field, but also to use the physical attributes that they've got. They've never had a quarterback that was able to just stand in the pocket like Peyton Manning and be essentially a point guard or somebody who was the, the, the polar opposite to that, like Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson and be a running quarterback who can throw a bit. They've always had that kind of guy for the last 30 years who can who can do it all. And it was just a question of, was Jordan Love the right person? To, to to implement what they want to do. And he is. And actually, he's not actually being asked to do a huge amount because of Matt LaFleur's scheme. And Matt LaFleur is now getting the opportunity. If you look at the amount of play action there, and I don't think you can underestimate how important Aaron Jones is in all this over the last four or five weeks. It, it, he's, he's getting the time to throw. And because he's got such a big arm, I mean, the, that, that one with Luke Musgrave, there wasn't somebody within 30 yards of him that was and that was hilarious. Like it was utterly hilarious, and I some mean, some of the Cowboys' coverage. The the other, like, in fact, we'll wait because I'm assuming we're going to go through every game. Yeah, we there's, are. There's yeah. comments on the just, Cowboys' defense talk, that are that are required. So we'll start at the yeah. very top, right? And we'll, we, we'll kick we off with finish the finish the awards, though. Oh, we will. We can pick our belter now if you want. Jordan yep. Love, Jordan Love, hey, <laughs> yeah, Jordan Love. Love, and everyone who made a comment is absolutely right about him. So, yes. uh, to to be fair, I thought it was Josh Allen, but. I'm just. I've got those. Are you just now pot stirring? Yes. <laughs> Are you just trying to keep Jason happy? 
<laughs> no, I'm just posting. He's, got, just, he's I, got your postcode, isn't he? I, I'm, I'm taking the throne position. I'll take the alternative position as often as I can. There you go. We will raise a glass, Jordan Love. You are the belter of the week. On to the game by game then. So let's start first of all with the Texans-Browns. And the first half of this was absolutely scintillating viewing. Uh, I think the first half of this was the best uh, half of action all weekend, uh, all six. It was. It was really good. Um, And then the... The Browns were just not ready for the Texans to be able to put up as many points as they did. Um, and Flacco like, was Flacco. But this is the Eventually. thing. Like, people people overhyped Flacco because he'd had a couple of good games in amongst there. But this, this is stuff we've talked about in the podcast before. Johnny would call this a fake stat. But turnover-worthy plays are way more uh, indicative of future turnovers than turnovers. And Joe Flacco was, as he always has been, a player who puts the ball into harm's way, and not just harm's way in the sense of it can be picked off, but he throws a pass into spaces where they can be returned for touchdowns. The first interception return for a touchdown was a ball he's trying to throw away and he hits his arm or he walks into pressure and it floats up and it gets picked off, and then there's a ridiculous return. I There's, there's blame on him for that one, but not to the same level of the second one, which is you've stared down and you've let a linebacker jump the route and he takes it back for a touchdown. That exact pass, I have seen Flacco wearing a different jersey throw that pass to a linebacker that goes back for a touchdown. The 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 point in this game, though, was that they just weren't ready for the Texans to be able to put up as many points as they put on offense. And the, the Texans' offensive game plan, all three of CJ Stroud's touchdowns came off of play action. And they also ran play action to the point about you need to run the ball well, they ran play action on second and 20 because you don't need to run the ball to run play action. All you need to do is show a fake and players are going to step up and jump and get scared. So the Texans came forward with a really good game plan on both sides of the ball and ultimately the Browns didn't get found out because that's harsh. The Browns went into that game not with a backup quarterback but with a quarterback who was on the street late in the season and their luck ran out. Yeah. And and they were there was moments where they were tremendous during the season. There was moments where more often than not they actually weren't. And this is a much taller story when we're coming into the Steelers, right? They kind of won themselves a watch by making it into the postseason in the first place. Do you think though any of this came from a false sense of confidence because these sides just met weeks ago? Obviously, there was no CJ Stroud in that, but no. it was the Browns that came out on top, and Flacco played really well. I think that's quite a big, obviously, though. I mean, he's, they're a, it's a totally different animal when you've got Stroud behind center. And look, Cleveland were not, with that offense, going to be able to, to last a, a length of time in the playoffs. It wasn't going to happen. I think what we saw in that game, and I think what we saw generally over the course of the weekend, this idea that great defenses can be can beat great offenses is it's it doesn't it doesn't exist at the end of the day it's an offensive minded league now you could argue oh well Kansas City shut down Miami that's a freak game and i think we've seen that the Miami offense is actually pretty soft when it's not suiting them you know the the defenses this weekend were shredded by top quality offenses and top quality quarterbacks so also I, so you can get a big defensive performance that wins a game I just don't think you can bank on it in today's NFL. Like there's mm. a 
someone at my work a couple of years ago, instead of saying running backs don't matter, they started saying defense doesn't matter. And it it's obviously hyperbole. It's not that defense doesn't matter. It's just that you you can't bank on defensive performance being consistent over time. As good as the Ravens have been on defense all season, like a good offense has the chance to put up 30 points against them in the playoffs because it's just how it works. But I think the point is that it's not only the quality or you know the quarterback play it's the play calling as well i mentioned last week that i thought both the, the texans and the browns should just go for it and the texans went for it it wasn't a conservative game plan it wasn't a risky game plan but it was more risky than conservative and they went for it and executed it and i think that can be hard to defend i mean i don't think the cowboys expected the packers to to shred them as they did. I know the Cowboys' defence hasn't been brilliant, but again, it's partly down to the design and the play calling and just being brave. And I, I mean, I thought the Texans were really brave. They trusted a rookie in his arm and some of the two of those touchdowns out the three through were, were fantastic. The second game of the evening then was the Dolphins Chiefs. And we touched on that briefly there, Charles, about mm. their offense being soft. And I think that uh, let, let's give them some benefit in the sense that we know Arrowhead is a really tough place to go as an offense mm. because of the noise there. I think add to that the conditions. If you play your football in Miami, then going to those conditions is going to impact you more than it's going to impact the Kansas City Chiefs guys. Fine, they have to deal with it too, but it's definitely going to have more of an impact. Yeah, that ball slapping that. off Tyreek Hill's hand more huh. and things like that. And I think the, the the defeat to the Bills meant they were coming in with their heads down. It didn't start great. It just unravels in front Let, of you, right? No, let's not make excuses for Miami. I'm sorry. You're in this is a high end professional sport. You should be prepared for that. You know, they go to Buffalo every, every year, they go to New England every year. They're not. It's not like they're playing them in September. They they've played in cold conditions before. These are professionals, all right. Fair enough. They play your games down in Miami, all right. And the problem is they've got a quarterback who grew up in Hawaii, all right, and has never has never really had any extended time playing in cold conditions. That's a, that is a problem. They're going to have to look at that as a franchise and decide actually is he long term the future of their franchise at quarterback. They're going to have to play these teams in the playoffs every single year. Buffalo, and, Kansas and, City, Baltimore, yeah. Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I mean, like, it's, 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 it, it's not, this is not new for them. And I'm to, sorry, if you're Miami, okay, you've got to go back and look at what did you actually achieve this year compared to last year? Okay, you put 70 points on the Broncos when they were basically non-entities. Um, you managed to get two or through the season without being injured. That's it. You I couldn't even win your division. They, they, they were... They lost a lot of key players throughout the season. They mm. lost both starting edge defenders, banged up in the offensive line. The Connor Williams injury at center was was bad for them. But that was my takeaway as well coming out of that coming out of that game. Is if you're Miami, you are going to have to play in cold weather conditions in January unless you're the one seed. Like it's unlikely the Texans being the one seed in the future would help you out, but you have a 50-50 chance, I think, if you get the playoffs and you're not the one seed that you're going to have to play a game outdoors in cold weather. And do you remember the clip? It's from, uh, I think it's from Capital Radio and it's uh, Big Shaq 
can't remember what his rap was, but he had a rap and he went viral at the time. There's a viral clip where he goes, he looks at the camera and he goes, I don't think you've got the facilities for that big man. That's the Dolphins offense with two in cold weather huh? in January. It's just, he doesn't, he doesn't have the arm strength. I think people think about, because it's not just the cold weather, it's also, it's kind of wind and stuff like that. I just don't think he has the arm strength for that type of weather. And they are unfortunately in a conference whereby you you need to. Yeah, and the thing is, is the, the the fact that they had all these defensive injuries, you know, that's unfortunate. But it's the offense, the collapse of the offense is the biggest problem because that's what they modelled themselves on, and that's what everyone was talking about. And actually, if you look at it in, in the cold light of day, all the hyperbole around that offense, it's bullshit. It really is because they didn't do it against a good team. But it's not Dallas because once, and then we saw what happened to Dallas. Do you know? It's it's true. And we saw Denver improve. Like we saw them put 70 points Denver on Denver. Were Denver got better. Denver were absolutely abysmal. They and didn't they were... even want to turn. The, the Denver were about as into that game when they lost 70 points as Miami <laughs> were at the weekend. Miami know, did not like, want to be there. The the I feel like their offense was banged up. I feel like Hell wasn't fit. Waddle wasn't 100%. Mostert wasn't either. And I'm not sure A-Chain was. Um, I think even the type of offense that you look at the two differences... Uh, Kansas City play big and physical. Uh, the running back, Pacheco, is big and strong. Most starts about pace. And I think in cold weather, um, you know, there's been studies done that show that aerobic performance does dip slightly in cold weather. So what you're doing is you're dialing back slightly their strongest attribute. Now, if this was a tell, simple game you. of Madden and it's a pace versus power, right? The cold is impacting pace more than it's impacting power. And actually, your power can be more effective because you slap through someone in the cold. We all know that. You've played rugby in the freezing cold, right? You want to be tackling, not be tackled, because when, when someone else hits you, good Lord, that's extra sore. And I think that it's just designed, perfect set of circumstances. I think that Miami have dipped at the end of the season, and it's their own fault. Beat the Bills, this ain't a problem. Beat the Bills, and you're not worrying about it. But they didn't. They're they went soft. there, they lost. You're, you're trying yeah. to cover for the fact they're soft. Also, and they, are, they are totally soft. What what I don't want to do, because I think this is the mistake that a lot of people are making just now, is talk about Miami, talk about their struggles, talk about what this means for them in the future. I, as a fan of a contender in the AFC, came away from that game, and it's been in the back of my mind for about three, four weeks now. The Chiefs are still there. They're still lingering in the background they're not Patrick Mahomes has to go in his first road non-Super Bowl playoff game this week but in that game they went into that game they were good on defense they knew they could handle the Dolphins in cold weather and on offense they were physical and when they threw the ball because they still dropped back to pass like 40 times in that game they were just smart with the ball Mahomes threw the ball away seven times how, how, how many games can you remember where Mahomes has not tried to play hero ball Holmes in that game knew, okay, the Dolphins are probably not putting up 30 points here. We just need to have a 25-28 point game. Let's have that. And they were really, really sensible how they how they played. That defense has got a lot better as well. And Paul, whilst defenses don't necessarily make up for the mistakes of an offense, your offense can take a step back and your defense can cover your backside a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you can win Super Bowls with a bad offense. You rarely win a Super Bowl with a bad defense. So, I mean, I, I thought the Chiefs did exactly what they had to do. I thought Gordon Point was fair. You know, you, you wonder how different the Browns-Texans game 
would have been if Flacco had been able to throw the passes out of bounds rather than for the interceptions. You know, I just thought Mahomes managed the situation well, played in those conditions before. I think it's great that he's going on the road in a playoff game. It's just something a little bit different. He'll probably relish that challenge as well. Charles Patterson, be honest. Mm. Bundy, mm. was the magnitude of it surprising even to you? The what the size of the result? At what, Just the, was 40, the magnitude of how it, sixteen or whatever it was at one point. How it span out? How exactly um, how it went? Because I feel like I, you yeah. have rightly downplayed. They've got nothing to lose. All that kind of jazz, and I get hmm. it. But you've also been a champion for them, which as a fan, you're right to do. No, um, I haven't. But, I haven't. I haven't actually. What I've done is I've said I will judge the quarterback at the end of the season, and I've. They're not. It's not the end of the season yet, so I'm not going to judge him yet. I think you've I, judged them through I, this season. No, I haven't. I um, never said. I said I would judge him at the end of the year. I have. I have castigated you and other people for prejudging him too quickly, which we don't need to get into tonight because I've already got my receipts on that. In terms, in terms of your direct question, yes, I was surprised. I was highly amused. I have to say, it is the most entertaining three and a half hours of the of my season purely to see the Dallas meltdown of fabulously epic proportions. There was a, I was actually really glad I wasn't on last week's podcast because you would have asked me for my prediction. My prediction was I thought Dallas probably would win. Um, I thought it would be tight. And I knew perfectly well, having seen how Green Bay go into AT&T and seemed to love playing there, that they would play pretty well. And I thought it would be 34-31, something like that. You know, ultimately Dallas had a better kicker. Um, I did not see, I, I knew Dallas could choke and I thought that they could possibly, you know, have a problem. I didn't see them choking as much as I did. And as much as we've been waxing lyrical about how great Jordan Love was and he's given him belt of the week, I think as much as anything else, we have to question, was it down to Green Bay playing brilliantly or was it down to Dallas simply oh. Choking and not understanding the myth that is the Dallas Cowboys is not real. No, it, it's both because the the Packers came into that game with a really good game plan. They they played well, I thought, on both sides of the ball. Mm. But but there were things that happened in that game by the Cowboys that were inexcusable. There's a there's a tweet by a sports writer Bob Sturm who's like been a long time Cowboys writer. And it's a screen grab from the game. And the Packers line up in 12 personnel, so two tight ends on either side of the offensive line. They've got a wide receiver close to the tight end. So the Packers are lined up heavy to run the ball. And the Cowboys have seven players within that box area. And three of them, I think, are defensive backs. One is a very small linebacker who was a safety who was converted to linebacker during the season. They've got, like, two big guys in the middle but just open space. They just they didn't react. The Packers lined up and said, we're going to run the ball on you in this play. And the Cowboys defense just kind of went, oh, okay, well, we're not we're not really prepared to stop that, but on you go. And they didn't adjust throughout the game. They didn't. And they, they should have, I think it's extraordinary because they should have learned that because I think we, we learned a few weeks ago that if you run straight at the Dallas Cowboys defense, I think Josh Allen did it, didn't he? In that game up in Buffalo, yep. that you get huge amounts of success. And, I find it extraordinary that they didn't adjust. And when you've got Dan Quinn, who's been there for three years, who's touted as this great defensive mind, who's possibly going to go to Seattle, for them not to change it is inexplicable. Totally. 
I think it's hampered. It might hamper Dan Quinn because that was a, that was a beat down on a national stage. Watching it, I think I was just stunned. You know, if you get beat by you know a great throw by the quarterback, that only the wide receiver can catch it. But I mean, you know, a couple of times you felt the boy could have kicked down on a deck chair, sat for a couple of minutes, made a cup of tea, and then caught the ball. I mean, they were wide open beyond belief. So and it that's was interesting. Inexplicable. Yeah, it was interesting. They, they talked about it on the on the broadcast um, how Dallas throughout the course of the season have gen- generally played man coverage and they played a dime most of the time. We're talking about the four dime linemen and the small linebackers and, and all these extra cornerbacks who are coming up to the line. And they were pl- they were trying to play zone in that first half. And Romeo Dobbs had the freedom of the place. And you can't, for a game like that, if you're going to change your entire defensive ethos and they're meant to be, what, a top five defense? They were trash. They were absolute trash. You can't change it if you don't actually understand how to make the changes. And what? And on the flip side, if you look at the, the Green Bay defense has been rightly castigated at various points over the last, you know, 16, 18 weeks. In fact, if you believe Green Bay Twitter, Joe Barry is the most useless defensive coordinator. In the Not history. even Twitter, just, just the just generally, smash, generally smash, the world. Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Patreon group. Um, however, what they did do... That he was very subtle and it was quite smoke and mirrors. And Dak Prescott, I don't understand how Dak Prescott, if he's that good, and I've not seen a lot of Dallas this year, and I've always thought Dak is far less than the sum of the hype. I, I think he's I think he's genuinely a choker as a quarterback. He can't get it done when the, when 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 it comes to the crunch. He didn't seem to know how to deal with this. And again, I find that inexplicable. And that's a lack of preparation for me. I was watching I, the game. I, so, sorry, I was watching the game, and I, I just thought, I thought this was a legacy game for Dak Prescott, because you were down early. This was the chance to step up, come back, be the hero. He looked bewildered at times, um, and, and it just that to me. I mean, it could cost Mike McCarthy his job. In fact, I'm fairly certain it will cost him his job, um, because he's proven that you know they can have a great regular season. That's fine. They're having great regular season while they're playing against twice a season against Washington, who are pretty terrible, twice a season against the Giants, who are also pretty terrible. So both of them are in a down cycle. So there's three or four easy wins a year in there. So to me, Mike McCarthy, if he if you can't do it in the playoffs and that's what you're building for, mm. then they'll have to make the change. Let's be honest, the NFC East is shit. I mean, we all know it now after what we saw the weekend. <laughs> the the only so on the on the coaching front, I I think he goes, but I think he only goes. Sorry, I think he goes if, and he only goes if Bill Belichick does not wind up as the Atlanta Falcons head coach. And they've had an in, they've had an interview with him, which we can talk about later. Is one mm. of the most stunning things. Like that just feels like it's weird, isn't it? It feels like a massive step down for Belichick, but we can get onto that later on. But. If Belichick wants the Cowboys' job, then it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me to see them make that move there, because what they need is they need a coach who is strong enough to shield that team from the owner, because that team who showed up on Sunday, Sunday, yeah, Sunday's game, it's probably the tightest an NFL team have been this season. They were all, all all the stuff that's true about the lack of preparation, the you know, the struggles against good teams and stuff this year, but absolute microcosm for how nervous they were in that game because of how much pressure they feel, and that goes right to the top. It's Jerry Jones. 
it, it Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb at the start of that game, like the first half, just they couldn't connect on anything. That team mm. was solid, just but is, rigid. It, with but I also think it's, that that <clears throat> was a symptom. I'm, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Adam Stenovich, the offensive coordinator in Green Bay, because I think the schemes were set up to create space and they came out aggressive. And what they did was they put Dallas on the back foot because then they've got to chase the game. When Dallas is in control, they can sling it around and they're confident and what have you. But I thought it was, I thought the game plan to come out first and receive the ball. And I'm sure they won the toss, right? And chose to receive the ball. They did. Um, They played down the field. And I think the players being open is fine. You can put that down to the defenders. But generally, I've been kind of commenting this for the last couple of weeks, I feel, that there seems to be a lot of the time there's Green Bay receivers are wide open. But that's the first LeFleur scheme because LeFleur's scheme is very similar. It's different, but it's very similar to Shanahan's scheme. I mean, they played to, you know, he coached yep. under yeah. Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. It is a very similar scheme. And when they had Rodgers there, before la- before this season, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the greatest players of all time. You've got to manage that situation as the head coach and as the guy who's drawing up the plays. You can't just say to Aaron Rodgers, you need to run this play. He was checking out of every other play every week. And that's why yeah. it didn't work. That's why they were comfortable enough and confident enough to move on from him this year because they've got a guy who's been sitting waiting in the wings for three years who is moulded in the scheme and therefore, you know, takes a bit of time to settle. Suddenly around about Thanksgiving, it clicks and off you go. This young, exciting offense. Is that what, the Packers and the Texans the most exciting teams in the NFL right now, and there's no two ways about that. Um, all you need is to get Alan Hansen to come out and make a comment about not winning an end with kids and you, the Super Bowl's in your hands. Um I mean, I I have to say, rather than gloating about what Green Bay, I've just been highly amused by Dallas Cowboys' implosion across the planet. Um, Jimmy Johnson's halftime rant on NFL Fox. Absolutely magnificent, it, it magnificent was Del- television. It was Delia Smith at halftime. Let's be yes. with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you imagine if that happened in uh, in like Premier League Sky Sports coverage or Scottish football? Um, and then Michael Irvin's um, sort of mea culpa to camera after the game. The problem with the Cowboys, and I love this because Green Bay have had it on the Cowboys for fifteen years. Green Bay have never lost at AT&T Stadium. They've, they've, got, every, they've got as many playoff wins as the Cowboys have it. I, I know, it's ex- <laughs> and they also won a Super Bowl there. It's brilliant. Um, the the myth, this idea, and Jerry, we talked about Jerry Jones briefly there. You, they're, they're the they're the most valuable sports franchise on planet Earth, and yet they can't get out of their own way because of the owner. What does that think- say about you? Yeah, but they've not won for years. But I think something like 16 of their 17 regular season games had the network, whichever one it was, top broadcasting crew on their game. They are and they remain absolute box office in America, whether we we particularly like that or not. And controversially, there are some nice Dallas fans around. And for those ones, you've got to feel sorry for them because they get good building blocks and the owner comes in and messes things up. Now, they do have some nice... I've got a couple of friends in Dallas, so it's a little bit unfortunate for them from that point of view. But I think what's really interesting is, is Jerry Jones big enough now to get Bill Belichick in that building? Because he knows that Belichick won't take any shit from him. I, he will. I'd, ask, I'd ask a question about this on, with regards to McCarthy. If you sat Mike McCarthy, he gets another job within... Yes, he does. Right. I, don't, I don't think he does. I, I think, think he does. does. 
I think he does. I, I, I think genuinely if, think he does. If he wanted a Carolina job, he could walk into that. If he wanted the okay. job in 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 uh, so Charles, Charles's statement is true because he would I, yeah, yeah, if, if, sorry, I I recant I recant before you're able to pull out receipts on this. I I don't think he would get a job outside of Carolina who I think are going to struggle. Do you not know, know, think do you not know, think do you not know, think if if they thought about it actually if he went to the, he could go to the Chargers he and could actually, actually go to Washington. Already there. I don't know about the Chargers. Washington is another one. Washington's he could end up another in, one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's they've they've gone twelve and five three years in a row. So he's he's a good coach. I I'm I take great delight in the fact that he's been probably going to lose his job and he's been bombed out of the playoffs. But he will get hired again. He is a good coach. This the problem here is not the coach. The problem here is the aura, and the myth, and it is a total myth. And that's that's the problem with, you know, believing your own hype. And it's, I, I just, I, I think it's absolutely fabulous. It's so, so funny. <laughs> so from, from a fan who's delighted to see his team win, let's move to a fan who's delighted to see another team lose. And from an offensive coordinator that's ambitious to a, an attacking-minded head coach that isn't attacking-minded anymore, Paul Mitchell, the Rams lost to the Detroit Lions. The Lions win their first uh, postseason game since 1993. It means that the Dolphins now have the longest losing streak in the postseason, having won a game in the postseason since 2000. But ultimately, Sean McVay, the, the, the mastermind for so many years, decided to punt the ball away at the end of the game when they were a point behind and chasing it. Cameron, the only thing better than watching the Rams lose this game, and I'll come to give Detroit credit in a minute, the only thing better than watching the game was having the pictures along with the LA uh, Rams radio network, whom I was listening to. Uh, I don't think they were overly thrilled, a couple of uh, the play calls either. But of course, your team radio, you've got to be a little bit more friendly. So it was quite funny. And to be fair to them, they were very fair at the end, although I fell asleep just before the very end of the game and I woke back up and they were still talking about the game. And the way they were talking about it, I was slightly unsure if they hadn't won the game, but they were just trying to be they were just trying to be positive. Uh, was it pass interference on the coup? Of course it was pass interference on them. It was a horrendously bad missed call. Uh, but I think what, what you learn as you get older is that bad Miss calls for pass interference happen, and you um, just whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hang on a minute. They also there was also a, a bad call on the other side. Yeah, the no. offensive line being called for a false start that was a, a, a utterly yeah. horrific. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know what I mean? I think let, let's let's flip this to the to the to the lines for a minute and see what a hell of a job Dan Campbell's done over there. I mean, he has brought belief. If you remember his, the first podcast we did after he got appointed, what were we all talking about? He was talking about you know biting people's kneecaps and stuff like that, and that that was the sort of trope that went with him for the first little while um i think you know from his time in new orleans people knew how good he was and i think it's a real credit to the lions that that they took a chance on him because he's clearly a big passionate guy but he's got a great track record and it's just brilliant to see and you look at that from you know from the nbc opening to sunday night football with m&m which was just brilliant you know typing up the game i thought it was a terrific game the atmosphere in that place was incredible and credit the Lions, they've got a lot of good football players there. Flag, flag on the play. Flag, I was going to bring this up 
bring this up earlier as part of the Chiefs discussion. It's very, very interesting how the same folk who've been wringing their hands about Taylor Swift, not not since continued Taylor Swift coverage, since the first week when we saw Taylor Swift, didn't have a single complaint to be made about Eminem. <laughs> oh no, nothing, nothing at all possible. Mm. So then, but then, but then the comeback to that, the comeback is, oh, Eminem's been a Lions fan for years. He lives in Detroit. Taylor Swift goes out with one of the players in the Chiefs, and people are upset. She's at games. I'm Absolutely not, no, I'm not upset. I mean, Eminem's not sleeping with Aiden uh, Hutchison, as far as I know. He might be. That's their business if they want to do that. But he's been a fan for years. The Taylor Swift thing is so dull and boring. Uh, the other question no, we not. need to say. No, no, it really this, isn't. This, there is, you cannot logically explain why it, Eminem's exciting and interesting. Eminem hasn't done anything <laughs> musically in years. Well, uh, the, the only um, exciting thing Eminem's well, done neither is Taylor his, Swift dyed his hair uh, black. Well, he he took part in a halftime Super Bowl show that Paul Mitchell slated yes, for being yes, terrible. Exactly. So yeah. you know, I'm talking about him as a fan. If in fact, if you want to talk music, the only thing more uncomfortable the whole weekend was if you watched Jim Nance on the broadcast having to promote the halftime show for the Super Bowl and trying to pretend he knew who Usher was was utterly now, hysterical. To be fair, if if you would be in exactly the same boat if it had been you, <laughs> you wouldn't know who he was either. Paul, come on, right now for the podcast listeners. Paul would start talking about how Paul would start talking about how his best hits were the three times that he helped someone to their seat when they were a wee bit sugarly on their feet. <laughs> um, the one thing I will say, because I gave credit to Green Bay on how they came out of this game, uh, I started the game. Sorry, uh, Detroit started brilliantly. I think it was. I, I can't remember the exact number of plays, but there was a lot of plays went by before they even had one that didn't in a yard like ben, it was so good at moving forward i was like good lord uh really clean really clean yep. and for postseason with so much on the line with so much expectation they both very impressive i thought both quarterbacks played great they yeah. really did um stafford's yeah. just been fantastic last few months and you know there are you know, i think either seen either team could have could have won that game and you would have given credit to the loser i thought they neither team really deserved to lose it in as much as you know, they didn't make any mistakes. Offensively, the Rams have been great. I think I, I fear for Detroit a little bit more in the divisional round than I would if it was the Rams. I think the Rams have got more star power potentially and would have caused more problems, you know, if they got to the championship game. Um, I do think the, that result now has completely set up the NFC for San Francisco for me. Because the yep, one I, team that I thought could knock off San Francisco were the Rams because they yep. know San Francisco. I don't think that's going to happen now. So if the Niners fuck it up, Cameron, you'll never hear the end of it. I, 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 so, I feel expected well, and I don't agree with that sentiment at all about the Rams, though. Other than the championship game, the, we've had the number on the Rams for ages. I'd st just... still, still a division. I, I think it, it definitely is set up better for the 49ers now because they match up better against the all the remaining teams. Jared Goff, though, for someone who is, I, I think I'm probably this podcast nominated Jared Goff hater. When they kept pressure off him in that game, he went 19 of 19 for 242 yards. Yep. So he he's absolutely done the job that the Lions asked of him. I, I still don't think he's good enough to, but you know what? That's not true. He's not good enough to win them a Super Bowl without a couple of bounces of the ball going their way. The, the ball bounces. He can do a he can do a Flacco. He can do a Nick Foles. Wouldn't uh, it be extraordinary if we had a Jared Goff v 
Jordan Love championship game, given all the shit that those two quarterbacks have taken from you two, over, especially you, Gordon. Not, over not, oh, uh, you have oh, recanted no, on Jordan Love Thank you. over the course Thank of you. time. Thank Gordon, you. Yeah, Cameron hasn't. Um, no, that's not true. That's not true. It's not true, well, but that's fine. Pretty, I've also true. never slated... I've never slated Jared Goff. No, but Gordon's been very mean about Jared Goff. Yeah. It was even funnier that they, in the in the divisional round we've got Jared Goff against Baker Mayfield. But then... Which, and that should <laughs> that should guarantee you Jared Goff in the championship. The, the, so in terms of getting a little bit lucky as well, what you don't talk about with luck is like other teams' decisions that help you out down the line. Aiden Hutchinson was phenomenal for the Lions in that game. He's a guy who went to Michigan. And now gets to play for the Lions. So the home state thing and all that works out lovely. We had conversations in our in our Patreon WhatsApp chat because Johnny Bailey is still crying about TJ Watt not going to win <laughs> Defensive Player of the Year because all he thinks about are sacks. Aiden Hutchinson's two sacks in that game were one play where Matt Stafford fell down and the other where he scrambled out of the pocket and just into Hutchinson's arms for the sack. But he also had three quarterback hits. He had a bunch of pressures. Really, really, really good all-round performance. Probably one of the best defensive players in the NFL this past week. And the Lions should have never had the chance to have him on the roster because the Jaguars decided to take mystery box Trayvon Walker at number one overall. They should have never had the chance to do that. So that that's how you get a little bit lucky sometimes and you, know, you take advantage of the luck. On the other side, though, the Rams are probably the most overachieving team in the NFL this year. Like that that roster, especially on defense, especially the draft capital they had coming into the draft, they they were fifth favorite, I think, to have the number one overall pick. They that's not a roster that was supposed to be good. They nailed two draft picks outside of the because they didn't have a pick until the third round. Nakua forced five missed tackles in that game. And like there's a really good story of how if you go by player tracking he was like a 99% athlete but if you went by testing at the combine and at the pro day he was like a 45 percentile athlete and it's just one of those players who his play speed is better than his time speed and stuff like that and then also hitting on a guy like Kobe Turner on the defensive interior so they are they are weirdly set up very well for 2024 2025 2026 apart from the fact that like the Stafford question is looming because he is not going to play forever so they're they're not set up at quarterback long term but this past draft i thought they've really set themselves up well we need to move on because we need to get into sunday and obviously we've touched oh. on a, a fair bit already but the the steelers overcame sorry no they didn't the bills overcame the steelers um i don't think anybody was surprised i think that you know the steelers definitely snuck into the postseason had and I'm trying to figure this out. Had you not lost well, to them in week 18, and I say you, the Ravens, it would have been the Jags, right? Yes. Uh, I don't mm. know if it would have been the Jags. It would have been the Steelers anyway. It would have been right? Indianapolis, I think. Would it not? Uh, no. Well, it could have been. Indi- no, it would not. No, Indy lost. Yeah, it I would, think it would have been Jacksonville. I mean, Which the, would have been a better game. I just, so, what was the point I was going to make? <laughs> the, 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 the question is, so they snuck in. They were the number seven seed. Um, and I've said for years, quite a few years since they introduced this, the whole concept of the number seven seed in the in the postseason, I don't like it. I think it's just an extra team to add an extra game. Um, and a number I mean, it worked seven out seed... well for you. It worked out well for you. Well, I was going to say. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I mean, it had to take Green Bay to produce to show that actually the number seven seed would be worth it. There are there have been number seven seeds before who have not deserved to be there. And what some people might have argued before the weekend that Green Bay didn't deserve to be there. But Pittsburgh never stood a chance really I have to say you know 
what are you expecting from Buffalo? You're expecting to do the business. And we were joking at the top there about Josh Allen and his lack of turnovers and he played really, really well. I mean, that's the least you expect from Josh Allen in terms of, okay, he's meant to be a top quality quarterback. What I would expect from Josh Allen is his ability. Can he string four games together in the playoffs without any mistakes? Without mistakes against top quality players. I think it's a fair it's a fair um, question. This is what I think I said it last week. If the Bills don't go to the Super Bowl, and I think they will, I think I think this is the year they're set up well enough on offense and they can beat you. I think they're set up better than any other offense in the NFL in terms of they can beat you running the ball with running backs. Josh Allen is a runner. They've got four really good targets or three really good targets and a good target. So I think they're set up. But if they do not, then it will almost definitely be because of a Josh Allen bad decision at some point. Is it so not going to be now because question. of the fact that their defence is missing bodies? But I think Josh Allen can overcome the defence. We just talked on this earlier, right? The the defence isn't everything. Um, yes, a great defence can help you in a championship, but a great offence can overcome that can patch the wounds of the also the injuries aren't as bad as I think we thought. Mm. That, like the the Bills they're not bereft of talent chat. there. They're not bereft of talent at all in that. No, they're defense, not. You know? I, I, I just wonder. I mean, and I <laughs> we're approaching a very interesting point because I mean I've talked about the uh, the, flor- the the fraudulent cowboys and the soft ravens for a few years. This is a wonderful opportunity this weekend to see. If Lamar, who incidentally has less playoff wins now than Baker Mayfield, which I find hilarious, um, <laughs> um, I I can't wait to see if Lamar, and I I really hope so because I think they'd be I think he's been great to watch this year. I want to see him do a job on Houston because as as great a story as that is, I want to see the Ravens in the championship game against either Mahomes or Josh Allen, and I want to see him come through and produce. Because I think he would absolutely, given some of the way that they've played in some games, Baltimore, I think he could rip that Baltimore, uh, that Buffalo defense to bits. I genuinely think he could. Um, I don't know about the Kansas City defense, and I think you are right to be worried, Gordon. Um, and if Kansas City win that game at the weekend in Buffalo, then you got to be really, really worried about. I, I, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be worried about either though, because the Bills, the Bills run the ball well, which I think is what the Ravens' big weakness is on defense. And that's if you beat the Texans. That and that and that is. I think that's going to be a, a really tough game. Anyway, on, yes. on this, Bills, Bills set up very well. Great, but it was expected. So there, yeah. it, you know, they were expected to win that game comfortably. If anything, it was a little less comfortable towards the end as it should have been. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who thankfully their season is not over because Johnny Bailey's season has been since week one and is still now in, as we head into the divisional round of the playoffs, all about the Baltimore Ravens. Their entire (laughs) season has been on the premise of, oh, can't wait to see the Ravens get knocked out of the playoffs. Oh, can't wait to see this. Even when they qualified for the playoffs by beating the Ravens, it was all about going 2-0 against the Ravens when they played mostly a team of backups. And here's the question I have for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Was it worth it to be the number seven seed? Because what's your plan at quarterback now? You, you, Your second-year quarterback, Kenny Pickett, was healthy the final two games of the year, I think it was, at least the last game and the uh, wildcard game. And they decided to keep Mason Rudolph in ahead of him. Mason Rudolph is not going to help you win a Super Bowl. At which point, 
why not at least get an extra two games and a playoff experience out of Kenny Pickett to see if he's any good at all? Because now where you are, if you're the Steelers, is, are you going back to Kenny Pickett? At which point you just wasted a couple of games worth of development. You know, you, you know this sounds like me having a go at the Chicago Bears. This is just cheap <laughs> shots here. There's no point. Right, John, we will John, move on. Johnny, I think he's Johnny laid a lot of the... questions. He's laid a lot of questions at the feet of Johnny Bailey. <laughs> Mike Tomlin's back next year, Johnny. It'll be fine. It'll be another winning season. It'll be another wild card knockout. You'll love it every minute of it. Right, the final game. Buccaneers 32, Eagles 9. Uh, what a fall from grace. Uh, like, the, the, the Nick Foles took over the Eagles and won a Super Bowl with them, but somehow this Eagles team has just absolutely crumbled. It just is quite something. I don't remember a fall from grace for a team without losing your starting quarterback or this any was... really significant... Like, fine, A.J. Brown wasn't playing in this game, but A.J. Brown played in a whole bunch of the old recent games where they got beat. This was worse than the Cowboys. Like, to collapse the way they did down the stretch was worse than the Cowboys. And I know... They had injuries. You're taking Jaylen... something away from Patterson here. J- Look at his face. J- gonna... Is it really? Yes. Because we know we've known for weeks that they don't like each other. No. We, was... We've known. We've. We, you can see on the sideline that they're clearly there are people in that building that don't like each other. That is an that's implosion. What I mean. that's, like a, that... that's a coaching implosion. That's that's. I don't mean this game was worse oh. than the Cowboys' loss. I mean the Eagles going from where they were to completely collapse and if, and I, I thought they were going to win that game comfortably even as much as they'd struggled and all that falling apart stuff one of my favorite uh stats here is that they moved the demoted or i think demoted sean desai who was their defensive coordinator and put in matt patricia as the defensive coordinator instead and they got worse in expected points allowed per play both passing and running the their success rate allowed went up by about five percent so they're allowing teams to move down the field more. And the rate of explosive plays allowed went up by almost 10%. And that that decision by uh, Nick Seriani to make that move on defense should be a sackable offense. Was it Nick Seriani who made that decision? I think That's so. the great question. Was it Harry I think, Roseman? I, I think, Charles, what, what's going to come out of this probably in the next few weeks when some players will leave the Eagles undoubtedly because of the roster turnover we're going to start to get the, the true story because mm. I think that there is something rotten in the state of <laughs> Pennsylvania and there's something rotten in Philadelphia You, it's. I'm trying to think of a team that has collapsed with that much talent you know, given the fact they were in the Super Bowl last year, they, they literally, honestly, just collapsed. The loss to the Giants was ugly. It's not like they've been unlucky. It's not like they've been decimated by injury. Yeah, they've had injuries, but everybody does at this time of year. I just can't figure out. I mean, I think you've got to give credit to Baker Mayfield, you know, because he, he didn't make mistakes. He didn't give the game away. It, just to touch briefly on the Steelers, you know, their inability to protect the ball and hold the ball, they had to play error-free football against the Bills if they had a chance they didn't do it. I don't think the Bucks did anything particularly spectacular. I think they just managed the game well. I think they realised what the Eagles were, and that was a badly wounded team, possibly a divided team as well. Um, and they just they just played a nice, simple game. I think, I mean, I've, I've watched the Bucks a couple of times against the Saints. I mean, they've got good receivers. Mayfield's okay in the top 20, 25 of quarterbacks. I mean, he's not a guy you'd necessarily go to. I don't think they're the most exciting team in the world, but 
and and like Gordon, I I still even with all the problems with the Eagles, I never expected the Bucks to get through in this one. I that's, thought this was going to be the easiest call of the week. It looked. I think that's a mutiny that's happened. In yeah, Philadelphia. it looks and like it. So uh, you know, Paul, you and I have covered over the years um, in different sports dressing rooms that have broken down from the inside because of big characters who have essentially just down tools. We've seen it. Yeah, and I think, and given that this is a team that got to the Super Bowl last year. And they have a, a head coach, somebody who's clearly, you know, from a kind of coaching perspective, pretty good, but he's quite a spiky character. He's he's a bit of a, you know, he's a bit of a bruiser. He's He's got a bit of charisma about him. Something I think has happened in there sort of mid-November, and that's the only way I can read it. And you look at some of the reporting around it and some of the videos and some of the com- press conference calls, and my question is, who's making the decisions in that building? Because they are regarded as one of the best-run franchises in football in terms of the way that they do their wheeling and dealing around the draft. And, I mean, it's extraordinary. And so if he's fired, I will not be surprised. And that would be pretty crazy the year after a Super Bowl. That would be mad. Um, and again, I think he'd get another job somewhere pretty quick, but there'd be questions about his culture. So interesting to see. He came out NFL.com and saying that Sirianni has said, I'm thinking about it, guys, when talking about his job status. Like, I thought it was an interesting quote because I'm thinking about it like he's potentially going to be the one that gets to decide his fate here. Um, well, if you might not get anything he... to think about here, Sirianni, you might just be out. Right, Why would is... you walk away from the Eagles? Like, is... if you walk, that's a bigger red flag, surely. Well, if if he's walking, then he's got a problem either with the players in that dressing room, maybe specifically the quarterback, or he's got a problem with the way in which ownership and the and, and the general manager operates. Now, Harry Roseman is not going anywhere because they know he's a really good general manager in terms of how he man- manipulates the draft. If you're a head coach, and the trades, the you're trades. going to be getting red flags all over the place yeah. if you're looking yeah. at that place. I, yeah. I think what, um, what you're talking about from, from that camera is – I think if he if he's going to go, he needs to set the narrative and he's going to tell his side of the story quickly enough to get on this coaching carousel. I don't think the coaching carousel moves too much until the Cowboys pull the trigger or not on McCarthy, because I think that will then, well, Belichick, you know, because Belichick would take the Cowboys' job over the Falcons' job. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I think there's a lot to come, and I think somebody would take a, a punt on Sirianni, um, because he's obviously done a lot right. But we need to find out. And as somebody said, the only good thing that came out of them getting absolutely whapped by the Bucks is that uh, talk radio in Philadelphia has got six months of golden content. You know, so they, they're going to be happy as could be uh, while they take it all apart. If Sirianni goes, I don't think he'd get another head, head coaching job right away because Belichick gets away with it because of, you know, his history and all that stuff. Sirianni... One, the collapse they had this year is a massive red flag, but also how similar is he going to be viewed to Frank Reich, who was with the Colts, uh, having, I think, been at the Eagles. Was he not the quarterback coach when they won the Mm, Super Bowl or the offensive coordinator? Mm -hmm. So there is, like, there's connections there. Uh, Frank Reich went into uh, Carolina and didn't last the season because he needed... Coaches need that gap away when they failed, I think. Uh, and I think he, if Sarah, I've also got a cap. He'd walk into Carolina. 
That's again. This is. Yeah, I feel like Carolina needs to be taken out of this conversation. Does. Yeah, yeah, everyone does. <laughs> I mean, Ca- I mean, Cameron, could you coach in Carolina? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say yes, just to make Gordon say no. Yeah, good. You also said no, that you caught Luke Musgrave's, you Luke Musgrave's pass. So I mean, I, I use oh, you as a barometer. Could listen, Cameron do it? For most these things? hands are small but safe. You've seen me catch a massive punt in the sky. It was beautiful. Um, Big Dom was clearly the manager, and I think that's all we need to know. He said, <laughs> coach, he was banned from the sidelines. It all fell apart. We knew what we needed to find out. Uh, the hearts of the NFL. Seriana um, well, didn't have his UEFA badges, and he was uh, out his depth. I want that's Ian Stephen on the podcast imminently to try and... Uh, I mean, he was deflecting and covering for weeks about crap um, officiating decisions when he he knew in reality that shit was sinking. There definitely was a theme of a lot of fans though earlier in the season where they seemed to be getting through games rather than dominating and there was a few people saying the, the writing was on the wall but when it fell apart the fact it fell apart so much. Anyway, right. There you go. That's our roundup. We need to do a very quick, because we've been prattling on for over an hour here. We need to do a very quick preview of the games coming up this weekend. Up first, Gordon, tell you what, uh, we'll take a game each. And Charles, as the away team, I will give you the second game. But uh, Texans, Ravens, Gordon, walk us through it. I think it's going to be really interesting to see because the teams are actually quite different from from when they played in week one. So the Ravens' offense was under a new offensive coordinator, and Todd Munkin. It's really hit um, its stride late in the year. Where the Texans, rookie quarterback in his first ever start, also new entire coaching staff, uh, Bobby Slowick and what CJ Stroud, the two of them have done together, has been really good. So I think the Texans are Texans are absolutely a threat to the Ravens in this game because of how good CJ Stroud's been. And he's a big game player. When the Ohio State lost the playoff game to Georgia, he had probably the best game of his career. So big game player, and he's capable of making all the throws. So I am definitely a little bit nervous. I can fully understand that. I think, and I'm going to say the same, this is a precursor to Charles talking about the next game. I would expect the Ravens to win, but I wouldn't be fully surprised to see them lose. Yes, uh, that's probably where I, this, yeah. if they If they lose this game, I'll be disappointed. If they make the AFC Championship game and don't win that game, I, I think I'd be like disappointed to the fact they didn't win, but not like, oh, this has been, you know, a real a real issue. And to Charles's point earlier, the Lamar. So my my whole thing on the Ravens season this year is, if they win the Super Bowl, great. I feel like I'm being greedy because Lamar's winning the second MVP, and that's you know for the the kind of attachment you have as a fan to players and all the stuff about him when he was coming into the league about not a quarterback and all that stuff. Going to win his second MVP, good. But there is part of me that's almost like a almost like a parental thing as a fan, whereby I know fine well what the narrative is going to be if they lose this game and he doesn't play well. Even if the even if he plays well and they lose the game it's going to be all the Mark can't win playoff games, even though he's got the one win. So like almost more than I want the Ravens to win from a, I want the team to win perspective is I really don't want that on. Lamar's I want, record. I want him to play a really great game in the playoffs. Yes. I think we, I think he owes it to the team. And I think we've seen enough great Lamar games whereby it's time for him to deliver in the playoffs. He's not a kid anymore. He's in his prime. Go and do it. Go and do it. Go and run for 100 yards and throw for 250. I, I don't know if that's the player he is anymore, but I, I would love to see like a three-passing touchdown game, you know, a couple of nice scrambles. This is the interesting thing, though, about him running the ball, is the Bills did this when they had to because their playoffs started in 
week 12, whatever it was, when they realised they really couldn't afford any more slip-ups down the stretch. The Ravens haven't run Lamar as much this year on designed runs. And I've kind of been wondering all year, is that let's get to the playoffs and then... Then do it. You know, because you don't want to risk them getting hurt. Once it gets into the playoffs, it's the playoffs. So let's do this. And is that is that going to be the final wrinkle to this, to this offense? Charles, you next. Packers, 49ers. No, you next. I'll I'll reply. You're at home. <laughs> and you've had so a I'm week gonna, off. I'm going to talk about the Lions-Bucks uh, game. No, no, you're not. No, 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 I'm no gonna... I'll, I'll, I'll take the Lions game. You, you yeah. come on. Look, I think you kick this one off because, I mean, I, it's pretty simple for me. I can say in five seconds, house money, no pressure, should be 15-point spread for San Francisco. Boom. I don't know about the 15 points, but I think that, yes, um, the the things that worry me. Let me talk about the things that worry me then. That's maybe more of the conversation. Why the do things you that worry me are you positive for once? I, I know it's difficult for you. It's not about not being positive. I just It's just naturally who I am. Um, I'm cautious and guarded. I think that what I want them to see is play their best game. And if they do, then I... I think if our best team comes out and plays their best, I'm confident we can win this game. God, you'd um, be such a shit manager in a press I know. <laughs> it's, it's been terrible. I, what I'm worried about is the twofold. One on our side, the rest. The, it's, it's, it's a lot of time now since we've played football. And I know that you get the kickback of a bye week. There's a point where that tips too far. That is a little bit cause for concern. Let's not go too cold. The bigger concern is how good that the Packers are playing. And I, I think that that's a massive thing. Jordan Love is playing freely. This is a young team playing exciting football with a coach, exactly as you said, that's now in control. And the we rightly, uh, early in the season, had question marks about some of the play because it wasn't that great. We get, the we offense just, got itself sorted. I love, I love you're just putting that we think, no, I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong on it. I wasn't. Was wasn't it wrong, wrong at the time? In retrospect, revisionist pressure, I'm wrong. Um, but I think they got the offense sorted and then the defense was a problem. And the defense has improved. The defense um, has been a problem. The, no, it's not. The defense has been a problem for 15 years. It's true, but the defense played really well in Dallas. So it shows that they are capable. Yeah, it played well enough at the point where it needed to play well enough. That's it. It, it played the, well. The, the Pick sixes the, no, and all no, that. No, it, it, so, no, it didn't. The, the Packers <laughs> defense couldn't close that game out to the point that the Packers had to put in Jordan Love and it cost him his perfect quarterback rating. What I will say to you, though, is Texans and the Packers both have the same thing going for them, is that they're Nothing to lose. Yeah, Does, doesn't matter if they lose this. There's no pressure. Doesn't matter. I mean, no. right? I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. The San Francisco 49ers are. Uh, I read a, an article this evening by the guy who writes for the Athletic and covers the Niners, and I think he covers the San Francisco Giants baseball as well. He says the San Francisco um, 49ers are like the Death Star. There are cracks appearing. The question is, can Green Bay be Luke Skywalker? <laughs> And find the find the crack. And I actually, before I read that, I was like, actually, the Niners are a bit like the Terminator. They're this unlovable machine that seems unstoppable. And actually, if they win the Super Bowl, fine. They've been building this for years, but no one likes them. They're about as unattractive a team to watch as you can get, and no one gives a fuck. I mean, if Lamar won the Super Bowl, it'd be brilliant. A great storyline. 
Um, if Josh Allen wins the Super Bowl with the Buffalo Bills, brilliant storyline. If the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl, then hell will freeze over. If Green Bay win the Super Bowl, brilliant. If San Francisco win the Super Bowl, no one gives a fuck apart from Cameron. See, because see they're, get... they're totally, they're just this juggernaut that's been built by this really unlikable man who's the head coach, <laughs> who's just a twat. <laughs> And actually, I can't stand the man because he's basically trying to prove a point to his dad. He's got major, major Oedipus complex problems. Right? <laughs> he's trying to prove to his dad that he's as good as his dad. And he's not. He's a choker. He's been proven to be a choker. And he's trying to win the, the Super Bowl with Mr. Irrelevant. And I don't think he can do it because I think at some point Brock Purdy will fall down. Brock Purdy's last two um, last two playoff games, and fair enough, he busts his elbow in one of them. No, t- no touchdowns. Played one snap. <laughs> no, no touchdowns and no interceptions. That was another good stat I saw this week. Um, the Niners should win this game going away. They should win this game going away. For Green Bay, this is a game to try and slay the boogeyman because they can't. For one reason or another, they can't get over the hump against San Francisco in the playoffs. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I fully expect San Francisco to put up 35 points on Joe Barry's defense and win by, it'll be 38-21. So it should be. I think it'll be close. So if, if you it lose, is, if it's run, you I think it'll will be never hear the end of it. I know I won't. I've said already to Gordon, I'll have to just, this could be the last episode of this podcast that ever happens. And then there'll be the spin-off brothers, pod with Gordon and Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I think very impressive that we've gone 257 episodes or something. And that's the first time that the Oedipus Complex has made it into a conversation. So <laughs> he's got, See he's that? got, he's got dad issues. I'm convinced of it. He's just a fucking weirdo, Mike Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry. And there's nothing to like about the Niners. There's nothing. There's no. There's no romance around them. There's. I mean, why is there no romance? Oh, oh, sorry. There's no good storyline around it. Kyle Uchek's wife makes really nice jackets. That's it. Brock Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant, and then he's about as irrelevant. No, he's not Christian Mr. McCaffrey relevant. going back to the bay where he played at college and That's um, having been thing... banged up and doing really well. Cameron, Samuel, you've been you've been going on, on about San line Francisco line. saying they're building for next year. They're building for the next year. This is it. This is now. They have to. No, win I, it. If we don't they win it this year, I still. It. If we don't win it this year, I still think we win it next year. I still think we win it next year. I don't think. I don't think we win it this year. Not that you're going to bet on it. No. In <laughs> fact, you know what? I will. I will bet on it next year. I will put my money where my mind is next year. Put money on the Niners winning the Super Bowl. I will do it. The, I'd, I'd as like soon Paul's as the Super Bowl finishes, normally the odds come out, I will do it immediately because I think next year is the year because that secondary is a problem and someone's going to expose it. And that's why I worry about Green Bay. Of all the teams left, I, w- I worry about Green Bay the most. I think Jordan Love can expose that secondary more so than any of the other teams uh, that are remaining. It would be I highly amusing. Be when Green Bay won the Super Bowl in 2010, they were the number six seed. They bumped off an NFC East team in the wild card round, and they beat the number one seed in the in the divisional round, and then they knocked off an NFC North team in the championship game away from home. Very so well, it could happen again. Yeah. So, oh, so check, uh, Ed, hang on. Wait, one last thing, Gordon. If you go all the way to the Super Bowl and see the Ravens lose to the Packers, I don't think. Are you coming back? You just going to stay oh, over there? I'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. That's not. Like, if the Ravens get to the Super Bowl and lose, yeah, I've seen them win two Super Bowls. Like, you know, I, Charles, uh, Cameron, who, what happened the last time the, uh, sorry, the last time the Ravens got the Super Bowl, who'd they beat? 
the 49ers. Do Thankfully, I didn't talk? know you then. <laughs> do we still talk on this oh, podcast? Yes, oh, we do. Oh, oh, I didn't know you then. We might not if I did. <laughs> there's only there's only uh, one person on this podcast that can't remember their team winning the Super Bowl, and it's you, Cameron. So <laughs> that's not true. I can vaguely remember it. Um, anyway, we move on to Paul Mitchell because we need to talk about the Lions Buccaneers. Okay, but I've got two things that I've got to talk about first. One, there oh, will no. be a podcast should Green Bay beat San Francisco and it'll be live from your front room. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be fun. And the second thing is from a sort of presentational point of view, and I say this with great, great love in my heart, will you stop setting Gordon up to give us the line that he's seen the bloody Ravens win two Super Bowls in his lifetime. Every time you tee him up for that freaking line, I know he's going to take the chance to come in and tell us that. So please stop doing that. Um, right, Tampa Bay against the Lions. Right, here's my argument that I think winning and getting to the playoffs has been a bad thing for the Bucks um, because they're going to have to stick with Todd Bowles as their coach and they're going to have to stick with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. Now, I've praised Baker Mayfield earlier because I think he's all right would, would he win you a Super Bowl? I doubt it. Will Todd Bowles win you a Super Bowl as a coach? I doubt it. Um, so I don't think this has actually helped the Buccaneers in their future planning. Good luck to them, but I don't think it's helped in their future planning. I think this is a potential trap game for the Lions with all the hype, with everything last week, with the Rams coming to town. I've seen it enough in football, in games that I've covered, that you it's not intentional, but the intensity isn't there. The same preparation isn't there because it's not as big an opponent. This is a real trap game. This this will tell you how good Dan Campbell is as a coach because he cannot allow his team to lose to, to the Bucks. He simply can't. Uh, and there'll be a big question mark on him. Should, should I, I he think we're underestimating that? Tampa because Tampa have got, I, from what I heard in, in a piece this morning, they've got 17 players from that Super Bowl team still on their roster. They are an experienced unit, especially on defense. Changes all the Brady narrative if they do manage to win it. Well, Brady Brady last year fell off a cliff and he was terrible. So they are not, there are no mugs. And I think they they went to San Francisco earlier in the year and they played all right for about three quarters. They kept the the lid on them. So The, the, the other thing to that, though, you know, is the fact if you were going to pick a team to play against at home, to get into the championship game, oh yeah, the box the box would be the team that you would pick, uh, or the Saints if the Saints had been bothered to actually win that damn division. But you know, so I, I think it's all set up well for them, and I just don't think they can afford to lose this at all. So I think this is this is on the Lions. I say credit Tampa Bay, but I genuinely overall don't think this this has actually worked for them this season. Who are we thinking wins out on top in this one, though? Is it the Lions, the Lions. or is it the Bucks? The Lions. Oh, it's, it's, it's the Lions. I'd be really surprised. If, if they're not tight, the Lions should win. Yeah. But having got over the hump of that first game, I think they'll be all right. Also, yeah. I'm going to push back on Paul's thing about the Bucks and the, the damage this done because the, the part about who's going to be their quarterback and stuff, absolutely take that. But this was a Bucks team who. Coming in this year, people thought we're going to be similar to the Rams, right? One of the top contenders to pick first overall. I predicted them to be the number two pick. <laughs> there, there you go. So <laughs> most most people did though, because going from Brady and you know like the salary cap issues, they have they've got themselves out of the salary cap misery that they chased themselves in with Brady, which worked because they won a Super Bowl. They've got themselves out of that in a season, and they wouldn't they would have never picked number two overall. 
because turns out actually a lot of the other players in that roster are still pretty good. So even with a bad quarterback, they would have won six games. You know, they would have, they were in the worst division of football, so they were never going to go three and fourteen or whatever they would have had to have gone to get a shot at one of the top quarterbacks. So pick where they pick, they might get a shot at Bo Nix from Oregon. Take a guy in the second. JJ game. McCarthy yeah, would be sit, fine. Set someone behind Baker for a season. Like sometimes you don't sometimes you're not in position to go and get a quarterback. Um, and that's the position they're in this year. But that stadium last night was absolutely rocking. And as a fan base, they are mass they're enjoying this season way more than they enjoyed last season because it's kind of proven to people that they weren't a team who were only successful because of Brady, because of Brady. Even though, yes, he has the reason they got over the hump. Last game, Chiefs Bills. Which I'm going to say this now. Last year, this game is absolutely like, oh my god, top billing, and it's still top billing. But I don't feel as excited about it. So here, let me give you a scenario: the Chiefs and the Bills. The game goes to overtime. I've got Bills the score tweet. touchdown got the on the first possession. Back. You and I have got the same <laughs> same tweet open. Benjamin but Sola. because the Bills petitioned openly for a new rule where both teams possess the ball in overtime in the playoffs, the Chiefs then get the ball, they score, and they win the game with a two-point conversion. <laughs> so that's that's the what's one. Th- there's only two things about this game. That's one thing. The second thing, and this is really really important. And Paul, I think you need to answer this question. If you are a member of Bill's Mafia and you get the opportunity, do you throw a snowball at Taylor Swift? Oh, we didn't even talk about snowballs. Uh, no, you wouldn't. It's a very ungentlemanly thing. <laughs> you would politely You're ask one her and not... only opportunity. No, 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 no. You would politely ask her not to sing because that's the right thing to do, but you wouldn't throw a snowball at her. She'll be there, I bet you. She'll she be there. Be... She may well be. I'll tell you what, if she's there, I think there's a fair chance she gets on the telly. Quite right, too. It'll be better. I mean, you can just imagine Tony Romo getting really excited about, oh, Jim, here it comes. There's some snow and it's hit her in the face. You actually sound... You actually, <laughs> that was actually that's not bad. That was not mine. bad. Romo did you, did, you, did you hear his... Did you hear his um, premature the- ejaculation on the uh, interception? Which yes. wasn't an interception. Yeah, he was very. And then he very tried excited. to cover for himself. Oh dear! Did he? He also had like a really weird, <laughs> uh, like comment about it being Martin Luther King Day. Not weird, but like it was just like his brain was kind of working, and he was just kind of talking through it. And they must have came back from like a thing which was saying something about Martin Luther King Day, and he was like, "Ah, Martin Luther King." And then there's like a pause, and he goes. That's a guy that deserves to have a day named after him. And it was just this really kind of weird moment. Like, you've started saying something there, and then you've went, oh, no, how do I follow this up? And the words have just kept coming. Uh, Some great broadcasting stuff at the weekend. I mentioned Jim Nance pretending to get excited about Usher. Uh, Noah Eagle was on the call for NBC rather than Al Michael. He was awful. Uh, credit to Kevin Harlan. He was brilliant on the radio for the, the Chiefs game. His daughter, Olivia, was the sideline reporter. Is that the first time they've worked together? No. I think, no, they, I think they've, they've worked yeah. together before, but she came up with a lovely story that uh, only um, Patrick Mahomes has got a special compartment for his helmet that's heated. So when he takes the helmet off at the end of the play, in it goes, keeps it warm, and comes back out. Um, you know, is that the bit that a, fell out? 
Hayes Helmet is, uh, well, I was going to say, smashed up by the end of that game. I was going to say, I, th I think it might have been too Amazing. hot. And, and obviously then you've got the problem because when you get the new helmet, it's not designed to fit you and you've got to make all the changes. They were good on that. And Kevin Kugler, I think, is Fox as well. He was on the call uh, for the Eagles game against the Bucks. He was really good on the radio as well. Um, so, But it's interesting, Jim Nance, that I, I still don't know if he's overly thrilled at being with Tony Romo at times. I think it's he's, I think too... he's realised it's a bit of a parody act and actually he's just got to kind of hold it together while Tony just goes off on one. I mean, he's not as good as he was in his first couple of seasons. It's quite amusing no, now because there's always a Romoism somewhere in a game now and you just wonder where it's going to be. Closer to home, I thought Sue was actually really good in the Sky Studio. Sue and Phoebe Schechter, tremendous. Yeah, he's Jason excellent. Bell, Jason Bell, just a shouting buffoon. And, and, and on that, a shout out to TalkSport for side of Jeff Rainbow for their Super Bowl coverage. Yes, yeah, I'd have Rainbow in that studio. Well, he, he should be in the Sky Studio ahead of all of those analysts, easily. Yeah, uh, above uh, certainly above Bell. Um, but anyway, right? Okay, he's not. He does not uh, meet my criteria to be in any studio until he learns that he can send a tweet without being in all caps lock. That's his, <laughs> that's his eyesight. So, so he says. <laughs> it's the fact that he's got a ghostwriter who also has to put caps lock on to write all his tweets for him, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, Oedipus complex, mm. premature ejaculation, and uh, Patrick Mahomes' helmet warmer. Three firsts for this podcast tonight. Ooh. And I think on that note, we'll probably Are we not calling it. this final game? I'm picking Kansas City just to annoy Jason Hoffman. I'm picking the Bills because I think the Bills will win. I think that the Bills are going to the championship game. Bills as well. I I think the Bills are the Bills are the favourites, right? Uh, yeah, they should like be. Points. They three should points. be, but I'm going with the battle hardened, tried and tested Chiefs. I uh, you know what? It's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, isn't it? Even on the road. Mm. So I'll 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 go with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. I, neither either team winning this wouldn't surprise me. The only thing that would surprise me if it's a blowout one way or the other. Yeah, that's what fair. is what is the weather in Buffalo to be like this week? Cold. Better. Yeah, cold. it's not the East Coast. I don't, no think snow. It's getting, don't think it's getting a lot of snow at the weekend, but it's to be cold. Good thing right. that they both know how to play in the cold, unlike Indeed. Miami. <laughs> so there you go. Right. Well, that's the full time whistle for this episode of Smash. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this and every podcast. But before I actually finish it, Paul, I nearly forgot we need to pick a winner for our whiskey this week. So can I have a number between one and 17, please? Uh, number three, the number of coaches that have been sacked by the Saints today. Wonderful. Congratulations to Brian Morris. You have won a bottle of Shamashlock Lomond Whiskey. And if you've won a bottle this season, look out for an email hitting your inboxes on Friday, as I need your details so that we can get these sent out to you so that you've got them in time for the Super Bowl. He didn't say which Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that we need to do before we go, uh, Top Golf. We've gone. Where, We've gone. Where we, We're still Top, recording. Top Golf, where we did our amazing week two live event this year. I've got a Super Bowl party. Um, and what we're going to tell you, first of all, is keep an eye out on our social media channel, specifically on Twitter, because we are going to be giving away a bay, thanks to the great people at Top Golf, for a the Super bay? Bowl party. It might be a Green Bay. 
Hey. It might be a green a bay to see Green Bay in the Super Bowl. That is definitely what could happen. So basically what you can do here, and just to give a little bit more detail about their uh, Super Bowl package, what Scroll you get up. is you get unlimited top golf play from 11.15pm for the full duration of the game. You get signature nacho and chicken wings for your group with the game on your own TV screen the screen in the bay or at the bar. Drinks will be purchased separately. For up to four players, and it's £176, which is £44 a head. Or for six players, it's £240, which is £40 per person. £40 per person for that much top golf. And we all know the Super Bowl is going to be going on. Midnight golf until about 4am and and the Super Bowl. So whenever it goes back to the studio and Jason Bell's shouting like a buffoon, you could be swinging for the the golf course. Brilliant. Imagining that Jason Bell's head's on the tee. Uh, and here's an extra special one. If you put in the code STROMASH, you'll get 10% off those prices as well because the great people at Top Golf want our listeners to, to go along. So if you're in Glasgow, you're looking for something to do for a Super Bowl, the perfect place to go. Remember, use STROMASH as a promo code. You'll get 10% off. Keep an eye out on social media this week because we will be giving away one bay to one lucky winner. And on that wonderful note, our admin will be done by Cameron. We hope you enjoy the playoff weekend. Texans at the Ravens, Green Bay, San Francisco, Tampa Bay at Detroit, Kansas at Bills. And we'll be talking about them next week. But for Charles, for Cameron and for Gordon, thanks for listening. Bye for now. I've seen the Ravens win two Super Bowls in my lifetime. Ball bag. (laughs) 